You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly podcast that shines the light on the world's biggest energy source. Solar Insiders is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, and Sophie Voroth, the editor of One Step Off the Grid. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Nextracker, delivering the most advanced solar tracking technology and the highest performing solar assets in the country. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast and the very last one of the year. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and its EV-focused uh, sister site, The Driven. And joining me is Sophie Boroth, the editor of One Step Off the Grid, another Renew Economy title. Um, Sophie, Merry Christmas in advance to you and um, I trust things are well. Things are well. Went all rather quickly, didn't it? Um, you talking about Christmas shopping or are you talking about the year? I'm talking about 2023. Oh, okay. Um, yes, maybe. I don't know. There's bits of it that went really, really slowly, I've got to say. But um, it does seem just like yesterday that we did kind of start and, and, and uh, resume the Solar and Scientist podcast. And um, I've got to say, we're very grateful for the support that we've got. Um, we've actually had um, fantastic um, listening rates between five and 10,000 um, d- downloads each episode. So that's very gratifying. It is very gratifying. And I think um, a lot of credit to go to you, Sophie, too, for your interviews that you've been bringing around from around the country and around the solar industry. And we've got another one, a really interesting one this week, actually. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who just will say, well, solar farms and people can't work together. But um, the big question is, uh, doesn't seem to be a problem for solar and sheep. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't seem to be a problem uh, for Tasmania either, from what uh, my my guest told me. But yes, it's more that um, solar panels and farmers can't exist is the message that we're really getting. But uh, yes, well, the, the Institute of Public Affairs has been dispatched to go and, and, and cause fear and loathing about um, wind and solar. Um, in- Regional Victoria, um, Gina Reinhart, the, um, the country's richest woman, and according to the Fin Review, the businesswoman of the year. Um, astounding, yes. Um, this in the same week that the COP28 uh, conference kind of made a landmark sort of decision to go renewable and the AEMA put out its ISP. But anyway, um, the two... Uh, <laughs> look back, me, we must. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, I know. So, so we got, you know, we got um, Gina Reinhardt, the business person of the year. Close second went to um, uh, the Oz super guy who managed to scupper, uh, scupper the uh, Brookfield bid for Origin and uh, hopes for an acceleration renewable. So, um, yes, and according to the Fin Review, they were very surprised to hear Boris Johnson say that um, net zero was a good idea. I'm not too sure. Yeah, and has to happen. <laughs> I, don't know why I don't know why they said that business people could be surprised. But look, a couple of interesting things happening this week. Solar, we already know, is having a record year, particularly rooftop solar. Um, it's been one of the really strong points of the energy transition. Um, gratifying to see a couple of new solar projects um, being approved in New South Wales. They've been very, very um, slow to um, to emerge from the planning department. One of them was really interesting as a solar farm in the Riverina, which um, 
uh, got a lot of feedback from um, the local community and um, decided to widen the rows in between the modules to allow more sheep. And we've also heard from the biggest solar farm in New in Australia, New England solar farm, has just introduced two thousand sheep to graze amongst the um, the, the rows of mod modules, and I think there'll be six thousand sheep eventually. And um, there's another solar farm approved in the New England region, which led out to delight, delight Barnaby Joyce, and also the Calcan solar farm, another Neo End project, um, has got up uh, with a contract for the New South Wales government, but. You've got a really interesting interview with a man who, an old farming family in Tasmania, who wants to build the first and quite a big solar farm in that state and runs 22,000 sheep and doesn't see any problem mixing the two. No, he doesn't. He actually thinks it's one of the only ways he believes he'll be able to keep his family on the land um, sustainably, you know, economically, and just also, you know, keep their interest in it because... Um, you know, it's difficult keeping the generations on the farm. But what was really interesting and, you know, what I think was an important point that he talks about is that, yes, people will have feedback for you about your solar farm and that's okay. <laughs> we can listen to these uh, questions and we can answer them and we can um, make changes um, all without getting hysterical about toxic runoff or other such things so that, that it's just great to hear from someone who's out there and doing it and um, believing in it and taking the community with him. Well let's have a listen to him. Would you like to introduce your interview? So this is uh, Roderick O'Connor. Roderick O'Connor, welcome to Solar Insiders. It's a pleasure to be here Sophie. Now we've got you here today because you are, you are a sheep grazier by trade uh, in Tasmania, I should say. Um, but you are also in the midst of developing a large-scale solar farm, which is a big deal for Tassie because it's a first. Um, but it's also a big deal. Or it's also interesting because you're going to continue running your sheep on the project. So tell us a little bit about the project to start with. Well, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll try and condense it. It was a little bit of an accident. I had a friend who was in this uh, renewable energy space and uh, he was down in Tasmania, basically just scouting other wind projects and things um, and, and possible solar ones in the renewable energy zones. And um, he asked me to do a favor just to help him out as friends do, just saying, well, who's, who's along here and who's on that transmission line and who's, um, and what's, what's the capacity of the line or, or how developed is that particular area? And we had four or five conversations. And then one of the areas we found close to the largest um, substation in the state was our own property. Um, and um, it was uh, lower value uh, farming land and it was right on the transmission line. And uh, it uh, became very quickly a light bulb moment. Uh -huh. <laughs> And so that was where the Northern Midlands Solar Farm was born. Um, it's going to be a 288 megawatt project, which is a decent size even for the mainland, let alone for little old Tassie. Uh, so where are you at now with that project? We, um, we've been in, in the project for around about 18 months from 
just general discussions. And as of about a week ago, we have a um, been given planning authority by the local authority here, which is the Northern Midlands Council. Um, uh, and we have a, an approved development um, uh, plan. So that's taken a lot of work to get there. And we've had a lot of engagement with landowners, a lot of engagement with consultants um, and with the uh, power authorities. And it's sort of, it was it, the last, the last 12 months it have been a little bit on uh, sort of uh, running on, uh, on steroids, steroids really. It's, uh, <laughs> but it's been, it's been a fabulous process. Um, it is incredibly iterative, incredibly demanding, but uh, very rewarding. And I, I'm glad that I've had to go through these hoops and whatever, because it just keeps you, keeps you and the project very real. Yeah. And um, we were talking before, this is not your first foray into sort of the more environmental side of managing your land. Um, you have a deep interest in protecting the future for your your the younger generations of your family and future generations and and a respect for the land so um is this is this an extension of of that sort of uh that that feeling that belief oh certainly um i i didn't hesitate when the light bulb moment came to do it because um, what's my time horizon as a as an owner and as a sort of a ceo of a largest farming operation my time horizon really is out 30, 40 years. Mm. That's what I'm trying to think. So this sort of journey started, oh, it, was, it was sort of a, a real itch about 20 something odd years ago. And then the itch said, wouldn't go away. I thought we've got to do something about this. So we set up uh, perpetual covenants yeah. in a time when people don't really do those things. But I think you can educate people by and family and members by doing things rather than not doing things. Mm. Not by putting in perpetual covenants which bind your heirs and successors, but there's a very good reason to do that. Mm. Um, same with longer range whole farm carbon projects. I can't tell you how hard it is to get these up and going because everybody wants to pick at the, the better parts and I'd have to have a little bit of a swipe at government policy on all that. Mm. Um, and, and I think to me it should be whole farm. Everything is either... In, it seems to be either just pick carbon or you pick a little project or something, well, let's, let's open up and see what your whole farm can do from Absolutely. every bolt. Which uh, brings us nicely to the subject of agrivoltaics, which is the, the blending of, of large-scale solar with, with farming practices, which can mean crops, but in your case means running sheep. Um, and as a business proposition, I mean, all of the wonderful environmental and, and sustainability reasons aside, as a business venture for a farmer, does this give you um, another line of income? Is it is it a good business decision as well? Um, it, it, it is. It, to me, it, it's a triple bottom line. The harder the harder part is to work out what else you can derive out of that aside from financial. Yeah. Um, and yes. It would be a financial benefit. It's probably not as much as people think, uh, but in a longer term sense, if you're leasing back, because I have no intention of selling the land, um, that would get a reasonable return. Yes, so it's a little bit different, isn't it? Because this is actually your, you own the land 
um, and you're you're developing the solar farm, so it's not as if a developer's come in um, and is asking to use your land. Yeah, or buy it out or use yeah. the land and whatever. Look, we'll have to bring in some equity players because this project, of, you know, $600 million for a 300-megawatt uh, operation gross um, is and batteries is not a, a – that's way beyond the means of a farmer. Mm. Uh, but uh, to me, the, the real trick is what else What else can you do? I, I want to have something that, uh, that I can get my children yep. involved in. Um, and and be part of for their future as well. Farming is a tricky business. You never know uh, things things get tough at times, and you never know quite know what as it has in the past, and it could be for some decades at times. So you never quite know what's going to happen. So I think the the idea is to try and future proof as much as you can. And so we're looking at things like carbon offsets as well, uh, getting. Uh, maintaining equity in the project or equity in other. Um, we've got a, a group that actually we're looking at these equity players through called TASREX, and uh, they themselves are looking at further renewable energy investments. And I'd like to be an equity partner on that. Partner on that. So again, looking to the future. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned in Tassie, there's not a whole lot of big solar. There's hardly any, in fact. <laughs> um, but on the mainland, um, it's really taking off. And in places like New South Wales, um, it, there's a lot going on. And as a result, partly, there's been a bit of pushback um, against using farming land for solar um, and riding that wave for whatever their reasons, I think, would suggest ideological. <laughs> uh, some of the uh, key political players in the in the co- federal coalition, the opposition, um, in particular, Yabarnaby Joyce and um, even the leader of the party, David Littleproud, has called for a moratorium on new development until, um, they say, until there can be more rules set in place, but there, there are rules. But... I just was curious to hear how it's been received in your neck of the woods. Obviously, it's going to be a big project. Um, how do people feel about putting panels on agricultural land in, in Tasmania, in, in your area? Sophie, I've heard none of this really until just recently. And mm. It was a bit of a surprise. We've had nothing but positive comment. And if it has been at all negative, it's been basically those uh, um, who, for want of a better word, are like conspiracy theorists that Mm. will throw up 50,000 things as the reason why it can't be there. But in our situation, um, two things. Tasmania, probably people have been more critical of saying, well, why are you putting solar in Tasmania? Yeah. What, what people aren't aware of is that the actual amount of daylight hours or usable daylight hours is, is greater than Melbourne mm. and it's parts to, equivalent to parts of um, um, central Victoria. Uh, and we have a couple of power authorities or one big power authority down here called Hydro and others and you know, it's good to have that as, a, sort of, as 90% of the power load in this state but if, as the future goes, they will need wind and solar particularly yep. uh, to balance out their to balance out their power, power requirements so they're very supportive government's very supportive the opposition's fairly supportive uh, the councils are very supportive um, 
uh, I think once we went through the DA process as well and realised that this our whole solar farm is actually surrounded um, in almost entirely by perpetual covenant of mm. um, of biodiversity. Okay. Uh, it's in uh, hollows where virtually it is. It's virtually minimal amount of input. Four percent or five percent of the whole project can be seen right. at a distance of three to four kilometres. It's okay. actually it's re- really well hidden, um, even to the extent of the poles and wires. That that's sort of out of area, but you can create things and. And part of the process when we did this was to actually find areas if they're a bit too high, whatever, let's just bring them down. Mm. Um, there's another very good reason not to have it. Most people think, oh, put it on high, on north-facing, uh, steeper, north-facing um, uh, hills. But what they're not aware of is that the, um, the, uh, um, the cut and fill is massive. You destroy your land to do it. So ironically, you actually want reasonably flattish yep. and slightly undulating ground. So they've been supportive. Uh, my neighbours have been supportive, um, the local community supportive. And I said, really, the only problem has been um, some people have brought up the heat island effect, which has been debunked. Yep. Um, and also the fire that fire issue, which is also debunked because there are codes already there to protect this. Yes, as they are for all sorts of developments um, beyond solar. Um, so you find that but that people do come up with, with questions such as the heat island effect, but you're able to, dis- to discuss it and to sort of appease their concerns? Yes. Uh, to be honest with you, we've only had um, probably two inquiries out of the hundreds supporting. There have been only two where there have been consistent issues or if in the minds of the asker of what we've done. But we've, we've been over backwards. We're going to keep supplying all that information. Just So unlike a lot of the uh, community in the modern era or uh, where it's through social media, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of commentary but not a lot of fact Yeah, that's, and not that's a lot of science. <laughs> and that's the problem. So, But we'll keep going. Yeah. I have... As I'm a landowner, do you think that I want to wreck my own land? I'm a proponent, so why would I do that? Um, if I'm going to not look after those in my local community, well, I'm not looking after myself, and that's rather silly. Yes, exactly. Um, I think the concern probably is that, you know, companies that come in, and there's, that's another sort of narrative that we hear, um, it, it can be accurate on the rare occasion but I think largely it's pretty false is that there's a company coming in you know it's based overseas that have has no regard for the local land or for the environment and just wants to make money and and pipe the electricity to the city and um you know it's it's all at the cost of the regions but um I think as you say they forget that the hosts of these projects would not be wanting to ruin their land exactly and that's why I really like you know, to me, I think it's been wonderful that I've been able to steer this from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't want to do anything that I want to keep the impact to the minimal. I want to have that cost pressure to make sure that we're not, you know, that you're not using large company thinking, which sometimes can be a bit of excessive, is to, you know, be practical. Yeah. Find solutions. And um, and I think that's really working and resounding. Uh, uh, sort of re- 
sort of resounding well within within the community but all those that we were engaging with and so you mentioned that you haven't really heard anything about negative feelings towards solar until recently because obviously i think when you're neck deep in a project like this these things come up what has caught your attention since you i mean it's not people opposing your project but have you become more aware of of the kind of um, anti-renewables propaganda that's being spouted and where it's coming from I I have, but I think it's um, I think it's more of a storm in a teacup. I don't think it's coming from I think it's coming from as you said in your introduction from political noise. Um, there are already safety nets there. I think the public um, have I think if you can give them the information and if it actually fits within. Um, the needs of the, the community for a cheaper power. I, I don't think there's that much of a, a negative a negative drive. I mean, um, some to me the other negative part that I have heard, which again it's only one person uh, that I've got this from, is that uh, you're using good ground. Mm. Well, we're not. Uh, we're using ground that basically is lighter country yep. that we've run sheep on and super fine sheep for over two hundred years. Um, and I don't want to run cattle there in future. Just a very good way of getting rid of cattle because you can't have cattle in solar operations. No. Um, and then we can actually really set up a, a, a wonderful rotationally grazed um, sheep operation underneath the, underneath the solar panels. Uh, all the safety measures have been sorted out with, with sheep under panels and there's virtually... No problem at all. I, I think it to me, it's it's such a win-win. I should end up getting better production if I get my management right under the panels than I had beforehand. Yeah, and 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 still protecting the biodiversity of some rather old improved pastures and a little bit of native pasture that's that's just remnant in that bush that's been cleared some seventy years ago. Yeah. And have you spoken to other um, farmers who've ha- who've successfully had panels on their property with sheep? Um, yeah, look, I've spoken to one, and they've uh, they've got just smaller a smaller operation, and whatever. And they said they've had absolutely no problem at all. Um, they're like me; they actually, as a farmer, they're, they're quite excited at the fact is how do you structurally set up because these operations have to be fenced, security fenced off. Yeah, we've really got good fencing control. Um, and it gives you a chance to be able to do more rotation. Um, obviously, you've got a water and watering points and a bit of cost getting everything in there. But uh, look, I think it's quite seminal at the moment. But um, I mean, I, I, I don't see it's a problem. It's not as though you're putting it in prime agricultural land, which then you'd have to really say, well, why are you doing that? Mm. Um, I did read in your article, you spoke um, last week, I think, to my colleague, Rachel Williamson, um, and you, it said that you had been fielding inquiries about whether the sheep might get caught on the panels or hurt themselves on the panels. They were in the, they were in the very early days. Yeah. Um, and, yes, I think, look, I'd heard about five or six years ago there was some, um, might have had a bit of an issue with that, but that's been sorted out. Oh, a long, long time ago. Since then, no, I think uh, because the panels are now designed in a uh, just a simple rotation, um, east-west type rotation, yep. um, it's really quite simple. There's very little. There's nothing elliptical. There's nothing for 
There are not many other moving parts and they're above the ground. I think the lowest height comes down to about 500 or 400, uh, cent, uh, sorry, 40 centimetres or 50 centimetres off the ground. Yeah. But the idea is that once it hits the, the, end of the, the end of the day and the sun's going down and there's no power generated, it'll revert back to horizontal. I see. So um, and as the panels to... then yes. go down to uh, face the east for the morning sun, literally before the sun rises. So there's very little time down in an area which could cause any problem. But any evidence we've had is that it's pretty, all that's been sorted out. Yeah. No problems. I mean, this might be difficult for you to say from your vantage point in Tassie, but what do you think? I mean, are you part of uh, farmers' associations and and the the sort? Um, what do you think is the view generally among actual working farmers in Australia about um, renewable energy and about uh, you know not necessarily putting panels on your own property, but having them in regional areas, having wind farms. Um, you know, do do you see forums and that kind of thing where there's some angst? Um, yeah, a bit hard to answer, but I think, can I put it another way? Uh, every time we've had a public release with something, I've had calls from people in New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, who are in a similar position to me and they oh. want to... They want to do something positive. They're even on, they're right under transmission lines. Mm. And they're a bit scared of being um, foxed by the difficulty of doing this. And I said, well, no, there's great advisors out there. What you've got to do is find them mm-hmm. and go and, and, but do it like I've done, or hopefully I've done, is do it as, as openly as you possibly can so that everybody's aware of what you're doing. And I think the more people become aware of what you're doing and that it is in the best interest and you can actually keep it and you're trying really hard to keep it uh, what, in balance with, with, uh, with visuals or whatever, then I think we're, we're on, the, on the road to, to getting the community or to those very, very small minority who, who are picking up on these points to say, well, no, something is being done about it. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't really answer your question. And, and I'm probably putting too put a, a spin on it, but I think that's the way to go. Mm, no, I mean, it, it, it shows that there's interest out there and it does show that um, probably the more realistic concerns from farmers is, is, like you say, how do we do this without being overwhelmed by all the technicalities? And, you know, because as you say, there's a lot a lot to organise and a lot to get your head around. It's, it's different from traditional farming. But uh, there are good advisors out there and, and um, yeah, it, can, it certainly can be done. Um, and I, as you mentioned before. If I, I can just – one of these gentlemen that called me the other day, yeah. um, he's about 80% of his farm would be going to that. So that would you think, oh, God, you know, that's a bit harsh, a bit much. But he was the most engaging person I've spoken to in a long, long time. He was doing it for exactly the same reasons I was with – family, otherwise the family won't stay on the farm. Um, he was doing it for, okay, better to get involved in it and work it to work it with you for his sheep operation. And that's all he was running. And he was excited as blazers. He'd say, well, I can still do both. Yeah. Um, and um, so I'm, I'm hoping I'm not trying to put too much of a positive spin in this, but where it's appropriate, I think it's really, really appropriate. Yeah. And I think that, 
idea of keeping the family on the farm is a really interesting one too. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with you too. That it's not all smooth sailing and obviously there are some very legitimate concerns that people have about renewables um, in regional areas, which of course is, you know, carrying the, the huge load for Australia because that's where the land is and that's where the big transmission lines are. But I think what we feel here is that we are running a bit of a... Um, it's a trying to sort of keep ahead of all of the disinformation and all of the sort of anti-renewables propaganda is very tricky as well. So it's like there are enough genuine issues um, that we all have to work out and be sensible about um, without the sort of manufactured issues that come from people like uh, Barnaby Joyce and um, that are sort of reported without any... Uh, any sort of um, examination with by the likes of Sky News and and also you know pushed by people like Gina Reinhart who talks a lot about how much solar panels are an eyesore and they shouldn't be on land and and um, which is very interesting because she's made her millions from mining which is not notorious for its good looks on the in the environment. <laughs> I, I think the trouble is. That- a lot of this commentary um, is binary. You're either right in or right against. Yeah. Seems to be very little in the middle. Uh, I'm a farmer. I mean, we're compromising all the time. Mm. I, I don't, I think uh, people aren't spending enough time actually going into the facts. We're becoming uh, the soundbite and, and just making commentary. But what the problem is when politicians get a hold of that, then they want to put all these all these commentary bits in to something to set up a plan or a policy which is not relevant. Mm. Stick to the points that really do have some effect in those rural and region areas, but the rest, leave it alone. It's already been discussed. It's already been put through. You're not going to solve those things and stick back to the real issues. Yep. And so what would your advice be to a farmer who's feeling a bit bamboozled by everything and feeling concerned about the impacts or the implications of going into solar, worried about their neighbours, worried about whether that, you know, toxic runoff will kill the barrier reef, which is what people claimed in Queensland. Um, what would be your advice to people who are just feeling overwhelmed with a, with with everything? The I think my advice to them would be um, take take... Take the community with you. Um, regulatory bodies have never been really good at, t- at talking or engaging or compensating or whatever yep. with a community. If you're going to do it, take them from the journey from day one. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and put it uh, put the plan in and make sure that they're aware that things can be moved or adjusted or whatever. Uh, if they can be, but I think if you take them with that journey and then answer the questions as best you can, it will take more time and it will cost more money, but it's 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 well spent. Far better to do that than build suspicion mm-hmm. and build anger or build a mistrust based on nonsense or a mistrust full stop. Yeah. Um, so I'd say just engage early with uh, um, with your community and engage early with your neighbours and engage early with um, and make sure you, it's something that you you do really want to do. If you do really want to do it, then you you have to scratch that itch. I mean, it's 
it's, I find it a little weird is that we're now getting people of minority, a noisy minority, whether it's political or not, saying we've got to have slow everything down when we've just had COP28 yeah. uh, saying we need to triple um, our renewable energy commitment. It sort of doesn't make sense. So somewhere in the in the middle there, you've got to find that compromise. Um, and uh, but I think I think just like everything today, you just you've got to take everybody with you. Yeah. And and believe in it yourself. Exactly. Yeah. All right. And that well... positivity and that encouragement. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no. Yeah. Go that on. positivity and that encouragement which should give those people enough sense. When, and I'm saying not over positive, but just say I'll, I'll give you that information and volunteer stuff. I think just gives them. Uh, in this suspicious world, something to be less suspicious about and unless you can walk down the road. But, you know, my experience is it's 99% for and where we are and, and less than 1% against. And that's very good to hear. And it sounds like you're dealing, you're, you're handling it very well, so that's good. Um, and the next step for your journey is, is what, what you're seeking some backing Next step of the journey is to get a little bit more uh, sorted with the um, grid and transmission line design and management, Yep. Uh, which takes us to the substation, um, is engaging more with landowners, which we've been doing all the way along in the process. Um, and then the, the next thing is basically we're being called at the moment because of the recent uh, announcement of our successful DA, we're being called by potential suitors or equity investors, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll be hopefully going through that process in the in the next two months to work out something that can be mutually beneficial. And we're also talking with those people who are wanting to buy power. Yep. Um, and in Tasmania, has got some pretty big heavy industry as well. But uh, so um, those those some of those parties have. Um, have a renewable energy target and they're very keen to talk uh, to incorporate some of that in their policies before 2030. Fantastic. So all going to plan, when do you hope to have the panels up and generating? I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) Um, um, Optimistic? No, I'm going to try and be... um, I would hope within six to 12 months... We'll have all that battened down and then we go into the build phase. Brilliant. So if that's the case, we should be building, uh, I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out on the line here, by 25, yep. late 25, but probably more likely 26 and then completed by the end of 26. Fantastic. Well, we wish, wish you all the very best with the rest of your project and, and yeah, we can't wait to see the final result. We'll be looking for, forward to seeing the pictures of the sheep grazing, grazing happily. Well, I'd be delighted to if you wanted to have a return time because uh, I'm, I'm very keen for this to happen and, and if there's some stage in the future if you want to talk about how that is a longer-term thing and how it's actually worked out as a sort of before and after be delighted to talk to you, Sophie. That would be fantastic. And thank you so much for talking us to us today. It's an absolute pleasure and uh, good luck with your uh, podcast and the work you do. Thanks so much, Roderick.
Uh, that was uh, Roderick O'Connor from Connorville in Tasmania with his proposal to build a 260 megawatt solar farm in Tasmania and run sheep um, and still run his 22,000 um, uh, mob of sheep, which is um, sounds like quite a lot. Um, it's interesting the point that he does make about sort of listening. Um, I think some farmers, look, people in regional communities do have concerns, they do have fears. Um, they've been fed a lot of rubbish from social media and some parts of conservative media that should know better. It was kind of interesting looking at some of the objections to the solar farm that we sort of saw in the two projects that were approved in New England and the Riverina this week. And it was the common theme. They're Chinese own. They're going to have batteries which mm. might explode. Um, There'll be heat island effects. There'll be something called the lake effect, which is apparently when water birds mistake the solar panels for water courses and, and, and land on them. Um, uh, but yeah. um, a lot of these were sort of dealt with in quite a systematic way, mm. and um, that's actually good to see. So um, you know, it's it is, and that, and he he said the very same. I think he got he got questions about the heat island effect as well, and I think he welcomes all of the questions, and he's happy to sit down. And as long as it's not the, some of the ridiculous nonsense that's out there. But, you know, even that, if you're hearing it from uh, some of the country's most powerful politicians and if you're hearing it constantly from mainstream media, then uh, it's probably not your fault if you believe it. Um, so I guess part of part of your job when you're developing a project is to, to sort of work with all of that. But as I said, we've got enough... Um, Genuine concerns and genuine problems to deal with without making making any more up. No, look, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm not really too sure what else of news is around there. It was interesting that the Australian Energy Market Operator um, brought out its um, draft 2024 integrated system plan. And what was particularly interesting about that, apart from its forecast that coal is going to exit much quicker, part of the reason of that is the increased rooftop solar was the forecast for rooftop solar and the role that consumer energy resources will actually play in the future grid. They've upgraded their forecast um, rooftop solar capacity by, well, quite considerably by one third. It's gone from 54 gigawatts to 72 gigawatts. Um, and that places even greater importance on marshalling all the resources that go with it, which include, of course, electric vehicles, battery storage, demand management, electrification, and things like that. But um, people sort of say that that's all well and good, but uh, the policymakers and the rulemakers really need to get their act together to make sure that this does actually happen. Yes, and I think what they're talking about there, a lot of the cases is, is some policies to support... Um, behind the meter battery storage. Uh, even though we have electric vehicles coming in, which are, you know, as we know, batteries on wheels and much bigger ones, um, I think it will be important to have home battery storage. It will be important to, to bring, bring people along um, just with education and with um, more regulation that people can actually understand and that they can see will work for them. Yeah, it was interesting actually uh, for the Energy Insiders podcast, um, which has also been published this week. Uh, we had an interview with Marin York from Australian Energy Market Operator and talking about this very issue and their desire to sort of orchestrate or at least partially control all of these resources. And of course, the consumer desire not to have these things controlled or necessarily. And um, just the sort of the friction between that and making that interesting um, for, for people because people invest in these things, I think, to be independent. 
Um, yeah. I mean, that was the big selling point, wasn't it? It was really, you know, re- minimise your reliance on the grid, stop, you know, giving money to the man, mm-hmm. <laughs> the man maybe. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's hard to change that mentality uh, right at the time, especially when prices have gone right up. Well, that's right, yes. And I guess the good news is that solid technologies have actually come down in price, um, module prices, as most people probably know, uh, now at record lows and forecast to go even lower. Um, and that's um, very good news. Thanks for some interesting decisions for some of the policymakers as they're looking to large-scale solar farms, particularly under the capacity investment mechanism and how to frame those policies in a way that encourages both wind and solar, but not just the cheapest form of energy, which is solar, um, because it's great having lots of solar, but to really, you probably need to balance it and have solar and wind in the evening as well. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one for them. Any other observations, Sophie, before we wrap up for the year that, um, that you want to make mention of? Um, well, I think, it was good to see after the change of Premier in Queensland that they are thinking about battery rebates there, which is really interesting. Um, I believe we've had a change of, of minister, chief minister in Northern Territory as well. Yes. Um, all of a sudden. <laughs> yes, there's, there's, a few, there's a few political moments, uh, movements going on. Um, look, yes. the, um, the new Premier in, in, in Queensland is interesting and he sort of talked about having a 75% emissions reduction target. Um, so that's pretty interesting, and and, and that mm. will probably go hand in hand with their um, with it, with their um, with their targets for for renewables. So it'll be interesting to see. For offshore wind, um, which I think is going to be huge. Uh, especially for those parts of Victoria around Gippsland and the Latrobe Valley, which are in real need of a bit of uh, an economic boost, among other things. And, um, yeah, so I think this will help. I really do. I think this will help change the thinking around renewables once people have it in their community and, it, and it's a palpable thing uh, and it's, it's creating jobs and it's, it's creating business. Um, I think... That will help and that will really change the dynamic. Yeah. Another thing that happened in Victoria this week as well was the, um, well, it was last week actually, was uh, expanding their um, support for the electrification of homes and pushing gas out of the um, homes, and mm. particularly for um, cooktops and, and things like that. So that was all very good. So, um, Sophie, I think that might just be a wrap for this episode and, and probably for this year. Yes, it just might be. <laughs> so look thank you very much um for co-hosting this podcast this year and um thanks for all those um, great interviews that you've done um thanks everybody out there for listening and for your great feedback and your kind comments um congratulations to everybody in the solar industry it's been a fantastic year um i hope you have a deserved break if you can manage one um over the christmas new year period and uh look we'll be back and resuming the solar insiders podcast um in probably late january early february and uh, continue on our sort of a fortnightly rhythm and um thanks very much to our sponsors uh next tracker and pylon um your support is very much valued and um 
that'll be it from us. Uh, all the best from the season. Do check out our other podcasts. Um, there's a last a week before Christmas episode for the Energy Siders with AEMO. There's also one from Switched On. Um, looking um, Someone who's well-known in the solar industry, Stuart Watson from Port Macquarie. I've um, got on his sailboat, went out to... Lord Howe Island to check on some of the solar panels that he installed a few years ago and their integration with electric vehicles and um, quite a fascinating interview and story there. So that's well worth listening. That's all from us. Um, thanks for listening. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy to use solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly costs and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by NextTracker, delivering some of the highest-performing solar assets in the country. Like a sunflower follows the sun, NextTracker's market-leading solar solutions deliver optimal return on investment for utility solar farms in Australia. Check out their flagship NX Horizon Smart Solar Tracker, their intelligent optimization software, and the industry's most advanced terrain-following solar tracking technology, NX Horizon XTR.